AI first is putting AI at the start of every conversation, whether it's about people, products, policy, or whatnot, so that you make the right decisions to build real AI systems today and by starting to gather the right data rather than just trying to sprinkle it on later. Um, welcome um, to WorkPod. Um, since uh, listeners and viewers, so today we have an amazing guest. We have Ash Fontana. Um, he's an active investor in AI-based concepts and companies. And soon we will learn about his journey and we will talk about the future of work and, and the crossroad on AI and future of work. And also his book, um, A- The AI First Company, uh, and then we'll talk about briefly on that. So with that, Ash, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So um, Ash, walk us through your journey. Like what brought you to your passion for AI and investing? Walk us through your journey. Yeah, I mean, two different things, you know, investing. I always liked sort of understanding what makes a good company. You started thinking about that and working on that. When I was much, much younger, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and we were constantly talking about, you know, what makes a good business. So that was where that came from and been investing for a long time now. You know, I've also been working in and around technology for a long time. I was just fascinated by computers, pulling them apart again as a kid and a teenager. And, you know, what I do sort of combines the two of those things. You know, where did this sort of morph into AI? I think if you spend enough time in a field, you start realizing where the really difficult things are in that field and where the really valuable things are in that field. And the intersection of those two things is where it's really exciting to to exist. And I saw after many years in technology that what was starting to become really hard but really useful was working with huge volumes of data. And this was, you know, bit over 10 years ago now. And I decided, well, look, you know, it's sort of obvious to me um, that this is going to be one of the most useful things or this set of tools working with big data is going to be one of the most useful things for the next couple of decades. So I may as well just completely focus on that. And those tools, you know, by another name are AI. Uh, So that's why I decided to focus on it about a decade ago. Interesting. So for our listeners and viewers, give your perspective on what is AI. Yeah, sure. In a sense, uh, AI is an unhelpfully general term um, because it doesn't really explain the methods used. Is it machine learning? Is it something else? Uh, And I wasn't sure if we should use that term for a while. But in a sense, AI is a really good term because of the word artificial in there. You know, AI is not like our own intelligence. It's not like human intelligence. AI is not um, another extraterrestrial form of intelligence that, you know, runs itself. It's completely programmed and run by humans. Um, And so I sort of like the the definition of AI um, or the the term AI these days. You know, all of that said, what is it um, really? It's a way to outsource something it's a way to put a form of intelligence a very narrow one onto a computer and let it run while you sleep and let it run at scale what and whatnot so that's what it is um it's just a a very little intelligence that you can put to work 
just like you could put any a machine or uh, a person to work uh, to do something for you. Um, funny, funny you are saying that. Uh, <clears throat> so, if if you are if you are from the tech side of the world, right, and and you understand what AI is, and when you when you sort of go deep into philosophical aspect of 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 a, of what is artificial what is machine what is mm. learning and what is intelligence i think you you're absolutely right many times um, even i question myself why why ai like what it's it's mm-hmm. in many ways it's it's deceiving where it needs to be helpful and it's it's and where it could be helpful people don't understand what what the, the significance is and and when you mm. go out um, talking to companies about their perspective on ai um, they're not doing AI or they are just mm-hmm. barely glorified analytics. And I think your book laid out mm-hmm. in that as well, that um, you can be analytics heavy or AI. So walk, talk to us like from your vantage point, um, what are you seeing in, 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 in the industry as when it comes to startup using this word called AI and, and show it showcasing that because it's, it's, a, it's a hot trend now. Almost every sentence mm-hmm. starts with mm-hmm. AI whether whether it doesn't mm-hmm. matter or not. like so what's what's your take yeah look i mean what's working really well are perception technologies you know things that see and listen um computer vision technologies uh, large-scale uh, analysis of speech um, and now large-scale analysis of big chunks of text and then you know applying those sort of core ai technologies to various industrial and commercial problems so for example um, measuring inventory on shelves, understanding what's in a warehouse on the vision side, um, lots and lots of applications of computer vision, uh, and then you know analyzing large volumes of text to extract meaning from news articles um, and whatnot. So you know the perception technologies are working very well, and then the other thing that's working really well is uh, our system, like what I'd call a mixed, what the, some people call a mixed initiative system, which is you know, where humans are really working with the AI to correct something. So recognize this thing in this chunk of text or whatnot, but involving the human every couple of turns of the crank, so to speak, um, so that the human is constantly correcting uh, the the AI. So, you know, it's working in lots of different fields. I can give hundreds of examples. Um, and the technologies that are working are, you know, quite specific applications of some of the core AIs. Um, well said. So when 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 you um, let's wear your in, investor hat uh, for a few minutes. So when you look outside and you look um, the startup landscape and how AI being utilized, I think you. Um, so when you evaluate um, a startup, how do you measure the effectiveness of its AI or its uh, its AI mm-hmm. capability? Like, how do you how do you evaluate if if you can walk us through that? Yeah, the broad methodology is pretty straightforward, and it's sort of like what you learned in high school about running a good experiment. You know, what was the hypothesis? What did you think you could predict ahead of time? What was your method? What data did you put in there? What predictive modeling? What statistical models did you use? And what were the results in terms of accuracy? How closely did your prediction eventually align with reality? So, you know, we really walk through those experiments in a very straightforward analytical way with companies. 
um, to understand how close their prediction is to being really useful. Now, that's one thing. Then you get into the detail of, okay, what is accuracy? How do you measure accuracy well? And in a sense, that's also really simple. It's, you know, did the prediction play out? And how close to reality was your prediction in the end? How accurate was it? Um, but, you know, you get some nuances there depending on what you're, what you're looking at. So there are other metrics to use like precision and recall and the combination of the two, which is called an F1 score, et cetera, et cetera. So there are lots of ways to um, have an idea of accuracy. You use different tables to understand correlations um, at different levels of accuracy. So, you know, there are lots of different ways to measure it, but it's not that hard, really. Like, it does come down to the basics of how did you run the experiment? Did you use a good experimental method? And how accurate was it? Um, but digging into that level of detail is really important. You know, just saying we're using this method doesn't mean anything. Different methods are, can, can be really effective or really ineffective in certain domains. And uh, um, so... From companies that approach you or from startups that approach you, what from your vantage point, um, what are some of some of the um, things that they get it wrong when it comes to the meaning of AI? Like what do you what what do you see as a consistent problem uh, when you are when you are uh, meeting folks who are addressing and you rightly said it mixed creating a mix, mix initiatives solving through AI? What are some of the some of the common things that you have seen? Well, I don't want to say anyone's really getting it wrong, to be honest, because, you know, if anyone's trying to apply this method in the real world, um, they're probably going to yield something, some sort of insight. That's the cool thing about AI. It gives us a way to think about something. It can yield a result that in and of itself might not be useful. It might not be a super accurate, useful prediction, but, you know, it might just by looking at it, looking at the result, what it predicted, give us a new perspective on something. So I don't want to say there's sort of a, a right or wrong here. Um, I guess general pitfalls are when people think that sort of throwing something into a generic model will yield something unique. Um, you know, I think it it's really pays to think long and hard about the causes of something in a system. So you know, what causes customers to buy this? What causes a delivery to be on time? And trying to program that into the model and be opinionated, so to speak, about what the causes of things are and what the AI should use um, to make its prediction. I think that's really important. And I think people often just sort of try to throw a generic model at something and expect it to correlate its way to sensibility. Um, but actually we have that sensibility in our own heads. So, you know, we can shortcut that whole process. And then another pitfall I think is um, when people get stuck uh, really cleaning up and labeling data. Um, and, you know, of course it's really important. It is important for models to have clean labeled data so that they can learn from or process it into information and then learn from that information. But, um, you know, often, if that's your bar for getting started, you never get started because you spend all of your time cleaning labeling data. Rather, it's good to just take whatever data you have, one small data set, and just start experimenting and seeing what you can predict first. 
Um, interesting. And so we are uh, we are a work podcast, so we talk about work. Uh, that's uh, primarily our focus. So mm-hmm. you talked about AI's. Um, Somehow, somewhat, it is. It is a way to outsource. Like it's, it's one of the way to you're mm-hmm. outsourcing your sort of your some of come up, some of your pain points. So, and there's there's a stigma attached to AI, or whether you call it outsourcing, is people like so losing people and and using AI to to mm-hmm. technology. What is what is your take? Uh, what is your take on on the work side of situation? Like so, people who are basically paranoid with this idea of hey, maybe AI is taking away my job. What what would you mm. say to those uh, those worried folks? Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways to talk through this, but you know, taking the historical perspective is really important, and stepping back a bit um, and realizing that look, every time we thought technology was going to take something away, it didn't. It created more. You know, um, quality of life and employment is better than it was before we had a lot of modern technologies. We have been using technology since the beginning of time, um, at least beginning of time as human homo sapiens have experienced it, as humans have experienced it. So, you know, it's just not the case that um, technology is bad. Technology is just a lever. It's a tool that gives us leverage so that we get more from less. We get more from our physical environment by being able to catch things that are out of our physical reach or lift things that are beyond our um, muscular capacity um, or our own strength. It gives us intellectual reach, allows us to think and calculate in a way where we couldn't. And, you know, what AI does, it gives us temporal leverage that is allows us to see a little bit ahead in time so that we can make better decisions today. So the reality is we've been using tools to get these types of leverage, physical and intellectual and now temporal leverage forever. And we've benefited a lot from that. We've been able to eat more by doing less hunting and produce more um, by using more machines. So it's always been the case. You know, secondly, it just doesn't bear out in the data. You know, as the adoption of AI increases, it's still um, very much going through its big initial phase of adoption, but you don't see jobs disappear. And then thirdly and more constructively, you can think of all the new jobs that are being created, you know, the different roles that exist in companies that manage large amounts of data and build predictive models that didn't exist before or that don't exist in, the, in other companies. Um, I think w- one thing I was, I was thinking about, so I was reading the history of, of automotive and, the, and there was, there was a, there was a sort of a, one of the early, early advertising of, against, against the idea of car. So the first car used to use a lot of lumber. And people sort of was freaking mm. out that um, the uh, car uses slightly more lumber than what a typical household during that time was requiring. So they were panicking that the world would be out of lumber and we'll be living in caves. And now one of the palladium, which is a very small element, uh, is a billion dollar industry in itself that's used in car as one of the convert- converters. So on, but I think that the the situation now, which which is which uh, even from our vantage point, we are we are sort of even ourselves seeing the anxiety uh, justified is that the change, uh, the speed of change has, has increased, right, beyond human capability. So in, mm-hmm. in earlier cases, definitely there's a small belt. They, they'll suffer. Probably they'll get to this new wave. They'll find sl- better paying jobs, better paying economic opportunities and, and role. But nowadays, um, more 
it's 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 all across right so the span is shrinking so when you when you look at the situation now and the and the speed of um, transformation speed of digitization speed of ai and humans are lateral uh, when it comes to our our way to retrain and reequip ourselves right some of us are blessed that we are slightly more inclined to technology but many of us are not that blessed where we are not very very close our job is not very close to technology so from your vantage point what what do you see as some of the uh, some of the next few steps in in the work side of the community so they can sort of get on um, the positive side of ai rather than the negative side and so do you mean there like what can people do to train themselves up for this next era is that right sure yeah yeah i mean it really just starts with numeracy you know getting as numerate as possible especially um learning as many statistical methods as possible you know because that's what we've got now we've got more data available about what's going on in our world structured data from sensors from phones cameras microphones etc from things going into databases the exhaust of all the software that we use the data exhaust, so to speak. So we've got more data and we can use that data to generate information. We can process it and figure out, huh, this is <clears throat> something that can inform our understanding of a situation of who our customers are, of <clears throat> what the demand pattern for this, you know, sweater or these this type of clothing is um, or this type of food for how this medicine is produced for how this disease manifests itself in the human body. We've got more data about that and we can process it to get some information about some of these fundamental things that are happening in our, in, in the world. And then from that information, we can learn, um, we can learn really how it's happening. And once you learn, then you can make a prediction, see if it plays out and then learn from the result. Um, and so really that's what we do all day long with our, with our brains, we're predictive machines, but it's what we can now do on a computational substrate on computers. And so <clears throat> it all starts with being numerate. It all starts with understanding uh, statistics so that you can work with data. So that's one thing, um, but you know, it doesn't have to be all about mathematics and statistics and whatnot. Um, you know, there's a lot around telling stories with data that's really useful these days. There's a lot around um, just understanding the biology of other beings, you know, whether it's animals or humans or whatnot, and how they learn, and then maybe, you know, trying to transfer that onto a computer one day. And that's, so that's coming at it from the biological perspective rather than the mathematical. Um, so, there, and there are lots of ways you can learn this sort of stuff. You know, you can learn it in the field of economics with econometrics, with geology, geostatistics, bio, biostatistics. There are lots of ways you can come at this, but you know, AI is not this whole separate field that people think about. It's actually a combination of lots of fields and you can come at it in lots of different ways. And I've got a whole reading list on my website that tries to give people a way to approach the field, no matter what their existing interests are, whether you're interested in markets or economics, whether you're interested in science or whether you're interested in computers, of course. Um, so there are lots of ways you can approach this and there are lots of ways you can learn. You can just read around the area, you can brush up on statistics, or you can take one of the many courses out there in machine learning that are really good. And and um, 
for people who are say coal miners of the world or or they are truck drivers of the world who are again not very very aligned with the technology um, slightly mm. there's, there's there's an air gap between what their day to day job is and what what technology is how transformation is happening um so from your vantage point like i i'm, I'm curious uh, personally are you seeing um what are some of the trends that you are seeing where a- ai is disrupting for good people like the truck drivers of the world or coal miners of the world like do you see uh, i i i give you one brief story so uh, one of the uh, one of the governments uh, one of the de- labor department so they contacted they 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 spoke with us and they say vishal you know what uh, governments pay uh, people pay taxes machine won't and if people don't pay taxes governments will go bankrupt and we are seeing writing on the wall right so we are seeing writing on the wall that we are not, we are failing to retrain our workforce to train them fast enough to this new reality new economic opportunities and we will lose out um, to that phenomena so and and so after listening to that uh, we shifted on understanding the technology landscape like so how is technology addressing this mass re- relearning and retraining effort that is required joe biden said it uh, in his infrastructure plan that there's a there's a massive uh, knowledge gap that is being created even in continental us that needs to sort of so what is what are you seeing from 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 your vantage point as an investor in this in the ai ecosystem yeah i'm really not seeing anyone's jobs be totally disrupted i'm seeing a lot of people be assisted by ai in their jobs but you know just to just to react there um there's a couple of things that people say and you've highlighted some of those things there they just don't make any sense i've got to be honest um you know one you said there someone had said um machines don't pay taxes but people do well machines are owned by companies and companies pay taxes machines are owned by people and people t- pay taxes they're not this sort of um sub or super sovereign entity that is not belonging to any one place they operate in a world and that world is governed by something um so that one doesn't really make sense and then a lot of the examples people use about um job replacement for the job replacement argument are really far fetched you know if you think of something like what a truck driver does or what a coal miner does that's honestly one of the last things that are going to be completely automated because there's so many steps involved the stakes are so high you know of um doing something in a coal mine that could lead to some sort of disaster or collapse or what not or of driving a really big heavy vehicle and it going out of control the stakes are so high and the environments in which they operate are so dynamic their natural environments it's out in the road rain cold wind etc it's in a coal mine under underground with all sorts of different systems you know different levels of humidity and water and what not um and gas restriction and production you know these environments are very comp- complex and so it's very hard to build a system it's basically impossible to build a system that can be right most of the time in a high stakes environment and especially where that environment is complex so a lot of those examples don't really make sense but you know again going back to um the core of this which is like what jobs are going to be automated again i don't see a lot like the state of the art of ai systems is that they need training they need humans 
to run them, to tell them what to do. Um, so it's very um, rare that you see anything get fully automated in those fields. I think so. Th- that's a valid point, and and I think one of so one of the undercurrent on on what what I'm saying and what what we are hearing, it's not uh, so much to do with how the jobs are going to be automated completely, but it's the inability to retrain workforce to take advantage mm. of the economic opportunities that are being created by AI, right? So so the, uh, what uh, I can understand and empathize on. Um, on the government workers because the, what they're saying to me, what, what I'm hearing, what they're saying to me is that there are a lot more opportunities, high paying jobs that my people could be taking, but it's in our inability to train them to, to those new high paying jobs, causing us losing taxes because the job that they're doing, it's the mm. demand is shrinking at some capacity yeah. because of other economic opportunities are, are being created by many of these, uh, in many of these places. So, so from from your vantage point um, about this knowledge gap, right? So basically, this new economics uh, AI is doing beautiful job when it comes to creating new economic opportunities. From what are, what are you seeing as a as a as a trend or pattern where the learning and development aspect of the economy is handled by AI, or is is that you do you see as an as as an opportunity that's yet to be explored? Like I, I'm I'm curious. Personal, for fun personal mm. sake. Yeah. Um, look, I think it's like anything. If there's an opportunity in front of you and you want to take advantage of it, you're going to have to work to take advantage of it. You know, there um, are costs to taking on new opportunities. And, of course, you can stay in a, uh, an industry and operate the same way you've always operated. But, you know, things change and you should expect at some point for the opportunity you're prosecuting in that industry the same way you always have to just go away. So, you know, it's, it's, I think of it as just like a very optional thing. You know, if you want to um, engage in the new way of doing things, the way that's driven by intelligent systems and uses these very powerful tools, well, you've got, to, there's a cost to taking up that opportunity. And if you don't, you don't have to, you know, just as um, individuals, if you want to use Spotify or Netflix or Amazon, then you can, and you might benefit from that. You might get something cheaper, it might arrive faster, um, or it might just be a better experience. But if you don't want to, that's fine too. You can still get movies and music and products the old way. Um, so, you know, for just like businesses and in, indiv- individuals can choose um, what they do with their money and their time, um, you know, that is the case with AI too. You can choose to invest your money and your time in training up and using it, um, or you can ignore it for a bit longer. That's fine too. Interesting. And and um, <clears throat> you talk to a lot of companies about their adoption of AI, their understanding of AI. From from your vantage point, what are some of the misunderstandings that companies have about AI? Like, can you can you name mm. a few? Yeah, I think a lot of people think that you know it is autonomous that you can just sort of throw a bunch of data into it and it will work. That's the reality is just not there. That's just not right. Um, you know, you do need to work with it. You do need to give it some clues, so to speak. You do need to help train it. You do need to correct it um, so that it can learn uh, over time. Just like, you know, when you're raising a kid, you can't just put the kid in the world and expect it to survive um, completely and well. It may be Maybe it will survive, but 
you know, won't necessarily thrive. You've got to teach it lessons. Um, you've got to share what you've learned. You've got to help correct it where it puts a, puts a foot wrong. Um, so, you know, it's the same with AIs in, in some respects and in a funny way. Um, so I think there's a, a misconception that you can sort of just have this stuff work out of the box. It actually requires a lot of fine-tuning by hand. The second misconception is that, you know, you can just throw any data that you've got into it. The reality is, as I said before, a lot of models need data with a lot of context, a lot of structure, lots of tags on it, um, so that it really understands what's going on. You know, it needs an image that says, okay, there is uh, a dog in this image or a cat in this image or not. And it needs lots of examples of that for it to learn what a dog or a cat is. And so you need to train and label things a lot. Um, and that can be pretty expensive because it has to happen manually. Um, and then I think the other thing that's a bit of a misconception here uh, in the positive is that, you know, you need highly, highly specialized people to do this. The reality is a lot of the specialists that work at the very big companies have created these very good tools that you can use um, that get you a very far, uh, get you very far along, get you a very long way um, to adopting AI and help you sort of train your own things, uh, train your own models and whatnot using your own data and your own expertise. And so, you know, I think if you're a bit curious, a little bit savvy, um, you can get started really easily. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think they're probably the top three. Interesting. And and if you if you are, um, say, an entrepreneur or if you are with an entrepreneurial mindset today and you want to uh, harness the use of AI in solving some of the world's largest or biggest challenges, where do you see um, opportunities today that exist where, where people could venture in and, and solve? Oh, yeah, absolutely everywhere. I think the question is not, you know, where could AI be applied, but where could you uniquely apply AI? You know, it's it's a very general purpose technology. Um, it has uses in all sorts of environments because really it's just about bringing the future forward. It's about making a prediction or it's about automating something that you already do. And so we all do lots of things and we all would like to know a lot of things about the future, no matter what industry you're in. So it's not a question of what it's applicable to. It's just a question of, as I said, what you can apply it to. And that is a function of what you know. It's a function of what industry have you been in? What do you know about the dynamics of that industry? What do you know about the economics of that industry? As in what would be really um impactful to automate what's really expensive to do today that is done over and over and over again and that is sort of annoying to do uh, that gives you a clue as to what would be really good to automate now whether AI can automate that is another question but you only know that by being in an industry a long time and the same on the prediction side that's on the automation side you know what would give you a real edge over the competition to know ahead of time um, that is something that you learn or have a feeling for uh, having been in industry a long time. So whatever industry you're in, I mean, I think start with the knowledge you have and then go from there and try to apply AI to predict something or automate something. Interesting. And and I, I'm curious to learn. So what is your take on the, um, the ethical part of AI, right? So ethics and AI, because... Um, 
we we have seen many black swan moment we have seen uh like our increase increased reliance on on data and models somehow somehow if not done right could sort of go in a different direction so what is what is your take on on the on the ethical like ethics and ai as as two competing mm-hmm. forces well look it's obviously a big area of consideration you know the way that ai's manifest themselves in every industry means that you know there are a lot of considerations some of them general and some of them specific to certain industries so you know it's very hard to generalize and talk broadly about the ethics ethics of ai you know what i will say is um there are some uses of the technology today that can be a little bit dangerous um and that sort of open us up to some potentially negative consequences and so i think the eu is taking good leadership there uh, or showing good leadership there in terms of banning certain uses of it um uh and that's you know there's never so clearly a right and wrong um it's it's all a question of like what the system is and what your values are but there are some cases where it's it's mostly um agreed that it's it's a bit wrong um and so again the eu's taking uh, a a good leadership role there um i think otherwise one other perspective to consider is just a a very standard utilitarian perspective if we're to talk about ethics here which is you know what do you get from it and what does it cost what are the potential downsides and so you know i often think you know just try to apply ai in fields where the consequences of it being wrong are not very high um because it will be wrong sometimes it's a it's a probabilistic system so at some point it will probably be wrong um and so don't use it in fields where if it makes a bad prediction the consequences are going to be catastrophic like in some areas of medicine um using ai to diagnose and treat diseases that's that's probably often going to be pretty um devastating if it's wrong um and so maybe don't focus on those areas um and on the flip side of the corollary of this is focus on areas where you know ai just brings a net gain as in you know discover something that's always going to be good to discover like to put it in a very sort of dollars and cents way uh, a new sales lead or a new marketing channel or way to market to customers um so that's another way i think about it in terms of the sort of payoff you get from using ai um and i think the third perspective to offer here on the ethical side of things is you know consider what the world would be like if we didn't use this you know we'd be missing out on a lot of opportunities to live a better life to have better forms of entertainment to get access to food um more cheaply and quickly because you know ai allows us to automate the production of a lot of these things and so i think it's sort of repugnant to not explore this technology based on some preconceived notion of what it can and can't do because we don't know what it can and can't do and there is a lot of potential upside here um and so you know i think we um are uh, well I don't, i don't like to use the word should but i will because i can't think of another one but i think we should explore it um because if we don't we're missing out and you know that's uh that's that's not a good thing interesting and um one more perspective of of, of yours um so on the governance side of 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 data and ai 
so i was talking to one of the one of the largest um, aircraft engine manufacturer and and they were talking about and he was talking about the, the telematics right so how telematics and this this um, mm-hmm. boundaries play along so his his point of view was vishal our struggle is if suppose our, our our aircraft land from one continent or different country and different country and the data is downloaded to one of the local servers there and then moved to somewhere else we process something so and many of these sort of have this um, the, the regulation and the policy is still sort of being being thought out and sorted out and and he was saying that we we have more lawyers than engineers working on this problem so what mm. is what is your take on um, how would the legislative or or a regulatory scene could could pan out what what is your take i am curious to learn hmm um yeah look i think it's good to get as many people as possible involved in thinking about the potential implications of ai and how we can get ahead of that uh with policy um because you know there is a big knowledge gap between policy makers today and those making the systems there's a huge knowledge gap um i think a lot of people aren't necessarily thinking about the potential of this not only in terms of the impact on people's lives but the impact on the economy positive in terms of the opportunities and negative in terms of the potential for power consolidation because of the type of competitive advantage that ai gives you is very strong and it compounds very quickly um and so i think the more people we have thinking about this the better and i think a lot of knowledge transfer would be a good thing awesome so let's 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 jump on the meat of the of the conversation about about your book yeah. by the way very clever title uh, talk to us about the story uh, behind the ai first company like why this title i'm i'm curious yeah i think there's just an imperative to put ai first you know it is such a powerful tool other companies are putting it first and doing very well you know ai first companies like google and microsoft are trillion dollar companies and uh if you don't sort of think about it and put it first then you know your competition's going to outpace you um so i think there's a real imperative to think about ai and put it first i think that imperative is exactly that it's to put it first in conversations not just you know technology conversations or research and development conversations within every conversation about who you're going to hire where you're going to allocate money what policy initiatives you're going to get involved with how you're going to price your product etc you know ai is something that you know really permeates lots of parts of a business as in you know if you're going to really be an ai first company you have to think all of the products we make how are they going to collect more data to get better and better and in terms of where we're going to allocate capital this quarter if we allocate it to collecting data now we have more potential to build ai's in future um whereas if we don't you know we're going to have to try and scramble to collect that data later to train the model or you know the people we're going to hire um they either have the capability to understand these huge volumes of data or how to work with them or not um so you know you really have to put ai first in all of these conversations across your organization to have the capabilities of building it and yeah again the time is now because other companies are doing it so that's what i wanted to sort of get across with the title is the imperative to put ai first in every conversation because it's really hard to sprinkle so to speak ai on top of something later on you know you have to be constantly collecting the data 
refining the models and whatnot to have AI that's truly impactful, that truly works really well. Interesting. And, and I'm, I'm curious. So when I was reading this book, I think um, it was it was a pretty interesting read, by the way. So so I'm coming from the technology and understanding business. So mm-hmm. to me, what, what, what I end up getting from the book was definitely some of my favorite terms, some of my favorite models, some of things that I'm used to seeing. And I was just skimming mm-hmm. through many of these areas and learning about the business aspect. And I was when I was reading it, I was thinking that in your mind, who was the who is the ideal reader that you wrote this this mm. this thing book for? Because I, I'm gonna. By the way, I'm gonna um, give this book to a friend of mine who is the other side of this equation. So he's a business guy, have no clue what technology is, and I want to see reaction. What happens to to mm. him? So I, I'm curious. Like when you're writing this book, who was your ideal um, reader? Yeah, look, I really hope the book is useful for people, whether they're running a small business or a large business, whether they're starting a new business or working in an existing business, whether they're running the business or they're a manager of the business, and no matter what industry. Um, I really wrote the book for everyone in that regard because I do think, as I've said, this technology is so applicable across so many different industries and so many different cases. And I do think that if you start putting AI first now, you know, you can be a company that builds real AI. You don't have to have started with it from day one. That's not the case. Um, And I also think that, you know, as I've said, a lot of people can work with this technology. You don't need a really strong background in the field to work with it. And, you know, finally, I think it can help a lot of people, you know, whether you're trying to take on a project and get noticed for making a difference so that you get promoted or whether you're trying to make your business more profitable so that, you know, it can be a better small business for you that serves you better. Um, I think AI can really help in all of those ways. So I wrote it for everyone. Um, You know, in a sense, part of the book is uh, written sort of more like a business strategy book. Part of it's written more like a technology book, a technology strategy, but sort of really quite techie and another part of the book is written more like an organizational strategy book so there's sort of something in it for everyone there's sort of multiple different types of vocabulary I use throughout and yeah there are equations in there and there are numbers in there and whatever else but you can actually skip all of that and still get the same value out of the book they're just there for people who really like to think that way um, so, you know, if you do like to think quantitatively, I think that will be at least partially satisfied in the book. And if you don't, that's fine. You can skip those bits. So, yeah, I tried to write it for a lot of people. But, you know, to really get to the point of your question, I wrote the book for people who want to use this tool to make a difference. That's it. I think I think so. My my personal experience is um, so. But, I was excited to pick this book because I think I'm, mm. as a as a business, so we have a business in AI, so we are curious mm-hmm. to know how some of the what are some of the ide- philosophical thinking and ideological thinking when it comes to building an AI company, right? So what are some of the some of the challenges and having having uh, when I was when I picked this book, I'm expecting an, uh, an investor who's passionate about AI writing about business and AI. So I'll see that that imagery. And and when 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 I when I read this book, it definitely touched up many of my anxiety points. 
so it it touched mm. up the roi aspect of things it touched up about analytics and ai issues it touched up on data and ai and perspective so um, to our listeners and viewers i think uh, i i agree with you ash that a um, lot of people would res- this book would resonate with a lot of people who are at a different aspect of this book trying to understand the neighbors trying to understand as you rightly pointed out that parts is ops parts is strategy parts is ai or the technology so it's i think um, from the laying out perspective this there's a definitely lot of nuggets um that you, that you created and and it's 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 a, it's it's an interesting playbook hmm thank you yeah and i like that you use the word playbook there because that's what it's trying to be it's trying to be a playbook and look this is why i wrote the book because there isn't a playbook out there for creating this sort of company and i've been fortunate enough to work with pioneers in the field of ai and learn how to build this sort of company and we learn together you know we face the challenges together and solve them bit by bit challenges like how do you uh, convince customers to let you work with their data so that you can make a model for them how do you price a product so that you encourage more usage to get more data rather than you know extract the most value from day one um so how do you sort of work with the policies out there around data collection retention etc um how do you hire people when you don't have the budget for you know very um skilled phd's coming out of the world's top institutions um these were all challenges that we faced we learned how to face them and i'm hoping to share those lessons in this book in a way that's more like a playbook uh, more like a step by step guide than you know a bunch of theoretical frameworks certainly need the theory you need the theory of competitive advantage and that was another reason to write the book which is to give to give people the theory to help understand the sort of advantage ai gives you but you know really what people want is a playbook to put it into practice interesting and i'm i'm i was curious when i was reading the book that um i i want your perspective on as an investor what is an ai first company to you like so when some when a startup mm. pitches you um how do you how do you decide um which company fits in this mold of ai like what 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 are your qualifying criteria if you can if you can share some of those yeah it's a company that fundamentally develops a competitive advantage through that you know they may have a brand um they may have a sort of side network effect going on they may have something else they may have a patent around something um so they may have other ways to enjoy a competitive advantage in their market but really where they're putting all their time and money is in developing a competitive advantage through data and you know that's where i focus my efforts and i focus um my time understanding um is companies that build a competitive advantage through data as in the reason customers choose you the reason they pay more for your product is because you offer such a significantly higher degree of predictive accuracy or automation than the competition interesting and and I, you talked about um um data learning effects walk us through what data learning effect is um i'm curious like what's your what's what's your perspective so a data learning effect is the automatic compounding of information and so three important words there automatic 
compounding and information. So let's work back um, and go through the three parts of a data learning effect. So firstly, you need a critical mass of data. In some cases, this could be a very large amount of data. For example, if you're trying to recognize something in an image, you need lots of examples of it for a machine to be able to learn from it. Or it could be a very small amount of data. But the point is you need a critical mass of data so that two, you can process it into information. You use techniques to clean the data, label the data, et cetera, to turn data, you know, sort of ones and zeros, binary values, categorical values into information, you know, a picture of what you're looking at, of the customer you're looking at, of the system you're trying to model. And then thirdly, you need a network of models that can learn from that information. So they're interconnected. They see a bit of information, correlate it with another bit of information, form a conclusion, pass it on to the next model that then takes the output of that and something else, does a, does a derivation, learn something from that, passes it on to the next one. And so you've got three things, a critical mass of data, capabilities to process that data into information, and a network of models that can learn from that information. And so the first part is sort of big data, so to speak. The second part is analytics. And the third part is machine learning, mostly, not always. Um, and you need all three of these things to get this loop going. And this loop being the way that um, ideally automatically compounds information. So the loop being you gather data from the real world, you process it, you make a prediction, and you see how that plays out in the real world, and you learn from it. Was that prediction right or wrong? And if it's right, then you reinforce that loop. Next time you go around, you do the same thing again. If it's wrong, you adjust it. Um, and then hopefully next time it's better. So it's automatically going through these cycles every so often, and it's compounding in value when it's right. It's getting better and better, or it's learning from what it's observing in the real world. So that's what a data learning effect is. And again, you need all three parts of that. It's not just about having scale to data. It's not just about having some sort of network effect. It's not just about having capabilities around data processing. It's all of those things. Interesting. And and one one I was um, thought I was when when you were saying this, I was thinking about that. Um, so when you say normal persona about AI that people have is, hey, AI will decide something on 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 my behalf and take a decision. So say if if you are if you're an AI first company, you you build uh, yourself to take decisive action quickly and sort of uh, beat yeah. your competition to it. How do you decide what are what are some of like which which predictions to pursue? Like how do you figure out mm. um, what are good it's decisions? A very good question. That? Yeah, yeah, it's a very good question. It goes back to what um, we were sort of touching on before, but didn't go into. So I'm glad you followed up with this one. You know, what's the payoff? Is one question. You know, is it going to be the case that? When the prediction's right, you get something really valuable, but when it's wrong, it's really costly. So <clears throat> consider the sort of payoff. Two, what's the potential for drift? Is in, you know, these models train on a set of data that is collected from the real world. But is the real world, the environment in which you're operating, changing so quickly that the data that you've got to train the model 
actually won't represent the real world in 35 seconds or 35 microseconds like in financial markets. And so if there's really high potential for drift there, then it might not be a good AI problem because you're going to have to gather data and retrain so quickly um, that you won't be able to keep up. Um, so there's certain ways in which we um, sort of understand how these models work that inform whether or not they'll be applicable to a certain problem. And I have a whole checklist in the book, um, a series of questions that say, okay, is it this or is it that? Um, is there high potential for drift, low potential for drift, et cetera? What's, is there high demand for variety? Is, in, is there a reason to have a model spitting out lots and lots of um, options for customers when they go to a website to buy something, lots of recommendations? Or is that not really valuable, in, the, in which case you can just have a human curating one thing for people to buy? If there's high demand for variety, it's a good problem for an AI-based recommender system. If there's low demand for variety, it's not. You may as well just use a human curator, as I said. So I've got a whole list of questions that sort of help you work through if something is a good prediction problem. And that's a sample from that list. Interesting. And um, I think um, that, that uh, thank you so much uh, for, for walking us through mm -hmm. exciting book again. I think it's, it's, it's very useful. Um, I find it pretty interesting read and I'll definitely get one more perspective. I want to know how someone who is not Great. technical would, 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 would go through this because it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. And thank you for putting it so much uh, good insights in there. So let's let's talk about. Um, so we have this next round. We call it rapid fire, right? So okay. the idea is that I'll throw out something. Um, you just tell us what comes to your mind, and if you want to reminisce, feel free uh, to walk uh, down the trail as well. So um, should we start that? Let's go. Yes. So machine learning, AI today. Technology. Tool. Leadership. AI first. Future of work. Less. Culture. Was that culture? Data centric. Digital transformation. All software will be intelligent. Disruption. AI first disruption. <laughs> Jobs of future. L more leisure, less work. Uh, future of startups. Everyone is their own startup. Well said. Uh, future of organizations. Decentralized. Hmm. AI first. <laughs> Company. <laughs> Book. Um, Most cheesiest answer. That was, that's, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> awesome. So um, uh, let's let's spin. Uh, we're at the tail end of the conversation. So let's let's sure. spend a um, few minutes on your journey, right? So we asked all sure. of our guests to sh to share uh, some of the some of the traits and some of the things that have made them successful or su had that that have helped them become what they have become. 
So what are some of those qualities that you attribute your success to? Yeah, I think um, there's a series of lessons that I learned from people around me that I've really taken to heart, that were really uh, ingrained in me and that I've lived lived through um, in that, you know, I try to um, really live according to the values embedded in those lessons. You know, one is just finishing a job. If you start something, take it to the end so that you can actually get the output and learn from it and do the next thing. Um, so just finishing what you start, yeah, I think, is really important. Um, the second thing is try to make yourself redundant. Is it, and I think that's a really good principle. You know, try to think, how do I turn this into a process that someone else can pick up and run with? How do I train someone so well that, you know, they don't need me anymore and that they can really own something um, that will motivate them more, that will free me up to do other things. And the process of training is a really beautiful thing as well um, of teaching someone something. So the making yourself redundant sort of gets you in that mindset of like properly training, delegating, teaching, turning things into process, um, documenting things. Um, so that's another thing that I've really uh, tried to um, think through and apply every day. Um, and the other thing is just showing up. Um, you know, so the first thing is something my dad's taught me, finish the job. The second thing is something a professional mentor um, taught me. And the third thing is something that my mum taught me, which is, you know, I really believe it's all of our responsibilities to manage our own energy um, by doing things like eating well, sleeping well, and moving well, so that every day you show up with a consistent level of energy uh, that you're so that you're able to have the conversations you need to have to make the decisions you need to make with a very lucid, in a very lucid way, um, and to be able to do the work you need to do for others. Um, you know, I think, you know, showing up with inconsistent energy, um, you know, getting sick all the time, doing this, doing that, you know, sometimes this stuff's out of our control, but a lot of the time it really is in our control, but it requires a huge amount of discipline to show up every single day with that energy and to be well um, in your role, um, to be well in your workplace uh, and, and be there for others um, and available and ready to go um, at any given time. So, yeah, they're the three things that I really just sort of keep in mind every day. I try to finish what I start. I try to turn something into a process, try to make myself redundant in some way, teach someone else something so that they can run with it. Um, and three, I try to just show up, um, you know, very, very consistently with very consistent energy. Uh, thank, thank you for walking us through that. So we ask all of our guests to share some of their favorite reads. So besides the mm -hmm. AI first company, um, sure. what are some of your favorite reads that you want to share with our listeners and viewers? Well, look, I uh, I have so many uh, areas of interest, um, but I guess they sort of all consolidate into three different fields. You know, one, intelligent systems, two, investing, and three, Italian culture and history. Um, what I might do is I might stick to that first category intelligent systems. Now, I will say uh, the website for the book has a lot of other books on there. You know, I, I show all these different ways you can approach this field of intelligent systems. Um, some of my favorite 
is one is a book by Jeff Hawkins called On Intelligence. And he actually just released a new book. But On Intelligence really gave me a model of how the human mind works that helped me understand how to build predictive systems better than any other model of the human mind. There are lots of great neuroscience books out there, but that was a really good one. The second book that really helped me understand um, intelligence is uh, a book called Neurophilosophy. Um, it was written by a couple and they were real pioneers in the field of neurophilosophy, really sort of started this field of philosophy. Um, and it's a phenomenal book because it is scientifically rigorous. It is obviously philosophically rigorous. Um, and it's a very sort of complete work in that field. It gives you sort of a survey of the entire field in one book. So I really think that is a, a phenomenal book. It's very um, involved. It's a very dense book. It's a textbook, really. Um, but, I, but I liked that one a lot. And I think that gave me a really good foundation for understanding a lot of other things. And, you know, a really fun book uh, in the field of intelligent systems, a fictional book, is Neuromancer. Uh, by William Gibson. He, I just find him to be such a great writer. He manages to keep lots of storylines going at the one time and without sort of collapsing them onto each other or mixing them up, but he keeps them going in parallel really nicely. His characterizations are amazing. He manages to um, set up lots of different characters in, in a book, as in the characters are so different from each other, but in, but manage to interact and have dialogue with each other. That's really fun to read. Um, and he's a really prescient person. You know, he saw a lot of stuff well before a lot of other people saw it. Um, so, uh, sorry, Neil Stevenson. Um, he he's a really good author. Um, William Gibson's also another good author. But I think in the field of intelligent systems and thinking about sort of sci-fi stuff, I really like Neuromancer. Pretty classic book in the field. Uh, I'm not alone there. Thank you for sharing that. So now, last but not the least, so um, if we, um, if you have a, a parting thought for our listeners and viewers, like what would that be? What would you be? Uh, what would you like to uh, tell to our listeners and viewers who are curious about uh, being AI first? Yeah, I would say you know, just get started now. Like it's just all about trying now. Um, you can start really small. You can start with just, you know, one computer, one idea, one person. Um, just get started now. Like pick up the book, pick up other books um, and get into this field now because, you know, we're only halfway through what I call the AI first century. Um, we've still got a long way to go. But, you know, if you leave it any longer, this stuff's going to um, really sort of permeate everything really quickly and, you want to be on the forefront of that. And now is the time, like now is the time where it's actually working. It's actually having real impact in lots of businesses and in society every day. Um, and it's still very accessible. And we're still sort of just at the cusp of seeing what's possible um, because a lot of these other tools and whatever else are available to us to start experimenting at a faster rate. So it's a great time to get into the field. It's a great time to learn and anyone can, anyone can get started. Um, with that, uh, thank you so much, um, Ash. It was um, thank you for uh, uh, sitting with the, with us, helping us understand the landscape of AI and startup, helping us understand the AI first ideology. And again, to our listeners and viewers, 
it's an interesting read. It's a it's a good read. I think uh, you should if you're curious about the capability of AI, understanding AI, and understanding how AI could be used in your business construct. It's it's a good playbook to keep, and and as as I think um, uh, Ash put it best, that you just can skim over to your most pressing need and just understand what's going mm-hmm. on. And so it's it's a very good book to uh, keep on the side as you are building an AI first company. And Ash, uh, thank you so much uh, uh, in in spreading awareness about AI, uh, spirit, uh, being a champion in, in promoting this AI first ideology, and and putting this uh, this interesting book book together. All right, thank you, thank you for saying those words and encouraging people in that way um, to pick up what they can and go from there. I was homesick, never really knew that I would have to grow so quick.